today. We're looking at commandment number five. Now, every one of you has parents. You know how I know that? You're here, right? Like it's a biological necessity for you to have at the very least DNA donors, right? There's got to be, you didn't just show up. My grandpa used to tell the joke to me that we just found you under a rock somewhere. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, I was insecure about that for a while until I realized that that's not true. And, and the, the reality is that there are parents somebody had to be able to at least donate some DNA. And just, just by broaching the subject of parents, some of you are filled with lots of joy, lots of excitement. You think about your parents, you're like, man, those people are so amazing. I'm so grateful for them that God has placed them in, in my life. And some of you have the exact opposite response. You're, you're immediately, you're, your defenses go up. You start wondering about what are we going to talk about. You start, you're, you're, you're filled with anxiety and frustration and anger uh, and, and anywhere in between. You know, maybe it's just, you know, sort of a, a passive thing. Yeah, I got parents, and, and that's about as deep as you go with it emotionally. But, but all of that to say that this is a complex subject. As well, there are many of you who not only have parents, you have someone who's gone before you, but you, have, you are parents, and so there's someone that is behind you as well. And so there are lots and lots of layers to this commandment, commandment number five, to honor your father and your mother. And so what we're going to do is, you know, I just want to right out from the outset, just, just address that reality that this is a complex thing to, to cover. And so, uh, you know, my hope is to walk through it and to, and to give uh, a, a good, well-rounded look at this commandment. So here's our big idea as we look at commandment number five in Exodus 20, verse 12. It's this, honoring God, honoring your God means honoring your parents. Honoring your God means honoring your parents. So let's read Exodus 20, 12, and then we will break it down together. It says this, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, as we open it, as we give attention to it, as we think upon it, we pray that you would give us your grace. Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to be able to enter into the things that you think matter and that you would change our minds, that we would submit to you as Lord, as God, as Savior, as King, as ruler, as the one who has made everything and created it to work a certain way. And as we open your word and look here at what you have to say about this parent relationship, parents and kids, we pray that you would give us uh, the wisdom to know how to apply it, that you would help us to know how to walk faithfully with you through this, uh, through this relationship. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, today we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 in three parts. What I want to do is just basically take it phrase by phrase to break it down and spend some time looking at it. So the first part is going to be an honor to be given. The second part, a promise to be accepted. And the third part, a gift to be possessed. Now, the Ten Commandments are essentially a summary of all of God's law. When we think of God's law, it's not just uh, these Ten Commandments. There are actually, I want to say, uh, if, the, if the number's right in my head, maybe I'm off by a few, but it's 613, something like that, laws. In, thanks, for, thanks for the confirmation on that one. Um, someone else is smarter than me. If you want to know, Joey's smarter, so uh, he knows what he's talking about. Talk to him afterward. 
Um, but uh, uh, there are 613 laws in the law of God. And so you take all of those and, well, what do we, how do we boil that down? Well, here's the Ten Commandments. And that's really a boiled down, concentrated version of the law of God. And actually, there's an even more narrow and even more concentrated version of this that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22. In verses 36 through 40, uh, it says this, uh, Teacher, which is the great command, commandment in the law? And he said, Jesus, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And when Jesus says all the law and the prophets there, he's, sum, he's summarizing, summing up the entirety of the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. Everything in the Old Testament, which would be the Hebrew Bible, he says, if you want to sum up everything that it has to say, everything that it's targeting and talking about, it's two things, love God and love neighbor, that there's these two relationships. And we've been targeting and talking about all the way through the Ten Commandments that these are the two categories of the Ten Commandments, right? You have the first four that target your relationship with God. And now as we transition into number five and following, we're targeting relationship with neighbor, relationship with people is what we're looking at here. Now in this, when your relationship with God is right, the first four commandments, it's reflected in your relationship with neighbor, isn't it? That when things are right with God, things with people are right as well. Otherwise stated, stated differently, broken sinful relationships with people can be an indication that your relationship with God is not right. That, that if things aren't happening very well on this plane toward people, toward neighbor, then it's an indication that something might be wrong with your relationship with God. And I say might or could be because there are some broken relationships that really have nothing to do with you, right? There are some relationships where it's you want the relationship to go well, you're doing what you can to invest in it, and, and relationships take two. It takes somebody else to reciprocate that. And that's why I love what Romans says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody, because there's a part that doesn't depend on you. And, and so in that, it doesn't mean that every broken relationship is because of your relationship with God being broken, but it's an indication that it could be. Now, uh, this commandment number five, what this does is it distinguishes us between the first and second half. It's the first commandment in the second half. And it actually uniquely, I think it's positioned uniquely because it reflects both sides. That, that this reflects both sides of the Ten Commandments. It reflects the first half and the second half. It reflects both relationship with God and with neighbor as we look at it. Notice what it says there, and interestingly, at the end of verse 12, it says that you, uh, your days may be long upon the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. That idea, the Lord your God, has been stated for us in the previous four commands, and it is no longer stated in the following five commands. And so for that reason, I would actually take this fifth commandment, and I would say it has more to do with relationship with God then it has to do with your parents. That there's something else going on here. That the parents are res responsible to be representatives of God to their kids. That that's, the parents are in a unique position to reflect God's glory, to reflect God's goodness, to be an example to their children about how God is and what he's like and how he functions. And if a child cannot show honor to their parents, they simply cannot show honor to God. 
These are deeply, intimately connected issues. That if there's an issue with showing honor to your parents, you absolutely have an issue with showing honor to your God. So this is a, this is a big deal. This is a massive thing that we're covering today in, in the, our study through the Ten Commandments. So let's look at this first part, an honor to be given. That first phrase there in verse 12 says, honor your father and your mother. Here, here, right in the very beginning of this command, God calls his people to show honor. The, the word honor means to make heavy. It means to glorify. It's to exalt. It's to lift up. It's to, to, to say this, this is a position that is uh, looked highly upon. And it's something that is an important thing. And actually, as we think about that, if you were here for commandment number three a, few, a couple of weeks ago, this is a contrast to the, to the negative of commandment three, which is do not take the Lord's name in vain. If you remember when we looked at that, then it's talking about the idea of vanity or vain. It's to take something that is heavy and to make it light. It's to take something that deserves honor and to treat it with dishonor. And so this is like a flip of that. This is a positive of that negative. It's to say that they deserve this kind of, of honor. And the first neighbor relationship that God addresses is the family. The very first neighbor relationship he addresses is the family. And this is because God sees this as a, an order of importance. And the way that God on his organizational chart, if you want to call it that, the way that God organizes things is he says, I'm first, parents are next, and then kids follow after that. It's, it's the way that God has designed things to work. That father and mother have been designed as a shadow of the substance of the Lord. That, that when a mom and dad work together, a dad and mom work together, and they do so well, they, they, they take their responsibility and their, their position well, they, they represent and shadow who God is in a deeply tremendous way, which is why there's such a major attack on marriage. Because a marriage really isn't about the man and the woman being united together as one, as much as it is a reflection of Jesus and his people being united together as one. And if the marriage can be destroyed, the picture of the marriage is destroyed, then the picture of who God is is destroyed as well. That's, that's why there's such a heavy attack. And whose eyes is it destroyed in the most? The kids. The kids' eyes are where it's destroyed the most. You see, God's honor is intimately connected to the parents and their honor. And so this commandment brings up a number of things that are really controversial in our day today. Uh, I'll just kind of point a few of these things out. Notice that there when you read in verse 12, it says, honor your father and your mother. And the father is listed first. Like that right away, there's some, there's some bristling, there's some, there's some controversy, there's some issue going on with that because God's design is that the man is the appointed family leader. Men, you are leading your home. There's no question about whether or not you're leading your home. There's no question about whether or not you're the one in the position of responsibility. The question is, are you doing a good job or are you doing a poor job? That's the question. You're in charge. You're leading. Now, if you've abdicated that responsibility and you've given it to your wife or you will let your kids run the home, that's on you, not them. There's a responsibility for the man to be the head of the home and to take that position of responsibility. He's the family leader. He's the covenant head. He's the responsible party. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the fall of man, 
that, that Eve takes of the fruit and then she says, hey, Adam, you should do this too. And he's like, okay. And so then they eat the fruit and uh, then God shows up and, and he wants to have a, a meeting. Hey, what's going on? I told you not to do that. And notice Genesis 3, 9, it says this, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Who did God look for in the garden? Did he look for Eve? No. Did he look for the serpent? Right? The, the devil made me do it. That was what their thing was. God goes to Adam and, God, and Adam says, well, really it's your fault, God, because you gave me this woman. Right? And uh, so he like double, double shifts that responsibility. It's your fault and her fault. And then she's like, well, the devil made me do it. And so, you know, maybe I could see how God would show up and say, Satan, I want to have a meeting with you and you're terrible and you're bad. But no, he goes right to the one who's responsible. Who's the covenant head? It's Adam. He's the one. He's the one in position of responsibility. And so, so that is a, a massive thing to grasp here, that, that God first and foremost goes to the Father first. Men, your, your kids are not your wife's responsibility. You're not helping her with the kids. They're your kids. You're not babysitting your kids. They're your kids. She doesn't need to ask you to help with the kids they're your kids, right? You should join in, be a part of this. You're a team together. It's not just her stuff and like I get to, you know, help out whenever I feel like it and, and that makes me awesome. No, they're your, they're your kids. Uh, now also, one of the other things is, notice it says there, honor your father and your mother. Notice that this is added. This, okay, so from our perspective in modern American culture, we, you know, I don't know how you say it, but I typically say mom and dad, don't I? We put mom first. Usually that's the way it's even phrased. And, and, and women are given such dignity and honor in our culture, and it's a tremendous, amazing thing. But in this culture, in Bible times, this was not true. This was not, women were seen more like property in this time, culturally, with, with the, the, the people of the world in that time. And so, here God, when he says, honor your father and your mother, he's taking the woman and elevating her to equal standing with the man. Saying that they're not, they're not in competition with one another for this, but that God looks at them and says, they're both together, given the honor and dignity. He elevates women to equal status, not, not above men, not beneath men, but equal status together, co-heirs in, in Christ, as the New Testament talks about it. Now, also, I just want to address single moms. This doesn't mean that somehow you are, uh, you're broken. I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to feel like the scriptures are attacking you or that you're having some sort of, uh, of issue of doing it wrong. What this really is talking about is God's intended design that the family works best in God's design. And, and in fact, I just want you to know that I have a, a very special place in my heart for single moms. My, I was raised by a single mom. I was raised by my mom who did her best to work really hard to take care of us and take us to sports stuff after, you know, after work and to, to get up early. And I, I remember my mom, uh, when I was playing baseball and I wanted to be the pitcher, she, would, she, she was my catcher, right? And uh, I was in Little League, so I wasn't the best pitcher. And uh, I remember I threw a wild ball one time and it, it hit her right in the foot and literally broke her toe. And uh, you know what she did? She said, ow, walked it off and kept catching for me. Like that is a crazy, mom, single moms are crazy people full of strength and honor and dignity. And so I don't want you to get the idea at all that something's wrong with you in doing that. It's, it's just a thing that you are in a position where if the man who had been with you 
had been faithful to his role, then things would be different. Things would be very different. Now, the ideal family unit is father and mother. That's what God's saying here. And isn't that an extremely controversial thing in our culture today? Our culture is trying to redefine what family is. Family is whatever I feel like it is. Family has to do with my, uh, my emotion. Family has to do with, well, I love this other person, therefore we are a family. And God's word completely disagrees with that. that. That love from God's perspective in God's word has very little to do with your emotion at all. It has very much to do with who God is and his design of things. It has very much to do with the way he defines it. And so if we define love the way that God does, we don't get to define it as based upon our emotion and how we're feeling uh, from time. Think, think of it like this, the, the ideal family unit being father and mother. It's, it's like your legs, right? You have a right leg and you have a left leg and they work really well when both of them are present and they're next to each other. Well, you have issues when one of those goes away. That's how a mom and dad, a father and a mother work together. Uh, now, feminism rejects this and wants to put the woman ahead of the man. And chauvinism rejects this and wants to put the man ahead of the woman. But biblical truth says, no, they're, they're together. It's not one is better than the other. It's that these are two different sides uh, of the same thing. Now, also, not only putting the, the man or the woman at the head of the home uh, or at the center of the home as the one who is, is the, the one who is more important destroys the family, so too does putting your kids at the center of the family destroy the family. You're not serving your kids by making the family revolve around them. You're not serving them at all. You're actually destroying them. You need to, to make sure as parents that you are inviting your children to be a part of the family, making sure that the family doesn't revolve around them. They, they get to participate in the family. The family is not them. Also notice it says father and mother. This is not an either or situation. You don't get to honor your father or your mother. It, you, it's both and. It's not an either or kind of a situation that, that God expects uh, that children will give honor to both parents. Now, just in, in terms of, of marriage, men, if you are not honoring your wife, then you better believe your children will disrespect and honor, dishonor her. That, that if you're not treating her with respect and speaking to her with dignity and, and uh, speaking to her with grace and love and appreciation, you better believe your children will disrespect and dishonor your wife. And ladies, same is true for you, right? You can't, your husband is not one of your children. I know that's a, a funny joke that people say, but it actually drives me crazy. It makes me very angry. Stop treating him like another child and treat him like the man of the home that he should be. And men rise up to that. That, that we treat one another with honor. And when we do, we model what's right for our kids and they're able to see the glory of the Lord through it. I, I remember with all of my girls, I've got four daughters. Uh, and so I live in an estrogen ocean. It's pretty amazing. And uh, um, especially now that we got some teenagers, it's, it's crazy some days. Um, but uh, it, it, you know, by and large, it's amazing. Our kids are great. Uh, but I remember early on with our kids, every, with every single one of them, I had to have a big, scary dad talk with them right around the age of maybe three or four, something like that, uh, where they needed to understand, you will not disrespect my wife. 
Um, and I remember one of them with one of our girls. Uh, I won't tell you who she is so that she can remain anonymous. But uh, she, she was just railing my wife and just badgering her and, and going at her over and over and over again. And uh, I, I was laying on the couch trying to catch a nap before having to go off and run and do something. And I'm just like, my blood's boiling. Like, I cannot believe this child is speaking to my wife this way. And so I stand up and with a big, scary dad voice, I call her name. And, and I'm standing right behind her. And so she turns around and her little eyes go, <gasps> you know, and she's just freaked out that, you know, she thought she was getting away with something. And then when she saw dad, she realized I'm not getting away with nothing. And uh, it just kind of flipped a switch in her to realize, oh, these two are together and they got each other's back. And that, that communicates something very, very different. Now, one other thing I want to address before we move on is this. How do I, maybe you're thinking this, as soon as I said, honor your father and your mother, there's some, you've been resisting me the entire time because you're, you're thinking, how do I honor a dishonorable parent? What do I do with that? What do I do with this, you know, there's this person and they, they don't deserve any honor. They, in fact, they have done terrible things to me. What do I do, what do, I do with that kind of a category? Um, I'll, I'll give you something very, you know, simple with this. Uh, first and foremost, what I want to point out is that there's no exception clause in verse 12. I don't know if you saw one in there, but if you did, you read something else into the Bible. There's not a, you know, honor your father and your mother, uh, except in this situation or this scenario. There's not an exception clause. But here's something to, to help with this, I think. It's uh, something that the military has. It's a term called salute the uniform. There are times when uh, there are people in the military where there's a person who you do not respect, you do not honor, uh, and they're inside the uniform that is above you in rank. And so you don't necessarily honor them, but you do honor, you do salute the uniform. And, and the, to that I would say your parents are in a similar type of situation. They have a position of, of authority, of rank, of title of office that is above you. And therefore, because of that, if they hold the office and they're not an honorable person, you honor the office if you can't honor the person. It, it is still something that we, we can do in the Lord. All right, moving on. An honor to be given, but also, uh, secondly, a promise to be accepted. The, the second part there, the uh, middle part of this verse. So it says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land. Your days may be long upon the land. Now here what God does is he attaches a conditional promise to this uh, commandment. He, it's, it's an if then. If you do this, then here's the consequence. Here's the result. Here's what cut, takes place if you're willing to do this. And the quality of life, uh, of your life, is connected to the, to the degree of your honor. The quality of your life is connected to the degree of your honor. We'll get into that a little bit more. One of the supernaturally natural byproducts of choosing to give honor to your parents is that it's going to make life better and longer. That, that's the idea here, that, that if you give honor to your parents, it's just going to make life better. It's just going to make life longer. Now, this doesn't work like a math equation. I gave honor to my parents, therefore I should live a really long life and my life should be epic and amazing. It's, it, it's not like that. It's not like a, a, a science you know, thing where you, you know, shake the beaker and you get the experiment to come out the way you want it to go. Uh, it's not a math equation, but it's a principle of wisdom. That, that if you honor your father and mother, then the principle of wisdom says that you're going to have a better, longer life. Now, this is especially true with godly parents. 
with godly parents who seek the Lord. If you will obey, honor, uh, defer to, uh, give, uh, give value to, and submission to godly parents, then that is going to, uh, that is going to translate to a longer, better life. Like with, with my kids, one of the things that my wife and I are trying to do perpetually is instruct them on the way that we handle relationships, the way that we handle finances. We're talking to them about time management and about nutrition and exercise and how to handle conflict and what's the right uh, balance of labor and rest and all of those things. If they will listen to us, if they will submit to our direction, if they'll give themselves over to the things that we're trying to pour into them from a God-honoring perspective, their life's going to be better and their life's going to be longer. It just, it just makes sense. It just comes together that way. And so this is a, a truth of, of wisdom, of principle of wisdom. Now, maybe you've had the thought, yeah, I fulfilled my end of the bargain, but God didn't really come through on his end of the bargain. You ever had that kind of thought? I know I have. Um, that, that, you know, I, God, I did all the right things. I jumped through the right hoops. I did the right stuff and, and things didn't, it wasn't better. And I feel like I'm going to die, you know, um, or maybe you have a, a situation or scenario in your life where you know somebody who honored the Lord and it costs them greatly, maybe even their lives. And this isn't to say that God's somehow lying or that he's somehow, uh, you know, falsifying the truth or giving us uh, a carrot to follow that he's not going to pull, pull, uh, pull through on. It's to say that if I have that thought, that, that I fulfilled my end, but God didn't come through on his end. It's that I'm thinking completely wrong. It's, it's wrong thinking. You see, when you honor the one true God, commandment number one, that when you honor the one true God, then what naturally follows is that you honor your parents because it's an unavoidable consequence. These are all connected together. They just all flow together. And you let God handle and deal with and worry about the results of how things work out. I'm going to honor you because you're God. And one of the things that you expect from me, Lord, is that I'm going to honor my father and my mother. Alexander McLaren, in his uh, uh, exposition of the Holy Scriptures, it's a, a, a commentary, uh, volume one, page 108, he says this, the practice of morality depends, like its theory, on religion. In the long run, and on the wide scale, nations and periods which have lost the latter will not long keep the former in any vigor or purity. What he's saying is, if you abandon commandment number one, eventually you'll abandon all the rest. They all fall apart. And don't we see that playing out in our culture today? That the more we reject God, the more we abandon him, the more we, we put him aside and say, no, there is no God, or uh, I don't want to worship the true God, I want to worship all these other gods, or I want to put myself in the position as God, whatever that happens to be, that as much, the more our culture does that, the more we see the rest of the commandments being violated and things unraveling as a culture. You see, the issue of honoring parents, it's not primarily an external thing. It's not what you do with the outside. It's primarily an issue of the heart. It you, can, you can say the right things technically, but have the wrong heart internally. You can, you can even, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, cover it up sometimes and, and try to couch it in, in other terms or whatever. But the truth is that uh, your, whatever is within you is coming, coming out of you. Didn't Jesus say out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? 
And so if there isn't honorable things being said about your parents, uh, teens, that's a great thing to, to pay attention to right now. Uh, that if you're not speaking honorably about your parents, if you're not speaking with dignity about your parents, if you're talking poorly about them, then that's an issue of heart. It's not an issue of the mouth. It's an issue of the heart. And only a redeemed, faith-filled heart can honor your parents. You need Jesus' help to do this. It's not just going to come out of you. And, and there's a, a point at which, you know, your parents' threatenings no longer mean anything. And you're like, fine, I'm just going to leave, you know. And, and I'm just not going to hang around any longer. And so uh, the, the truth is that a redeemed heart is what this is all pointing to. Turn, turn in your Bibles real quick. We're not going to spend long there. So keep your place here to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to point out something real quick for us here. Um, this verse is repeated in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're given a little bit of commentary on this uh, section of Scripture. There's, it's repeated, and there's a, a little bit of a different approach being given to it. And um, so I just wanted to read it together uh, there. Ephesians 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. All right, Ephesians 6. Verse 1 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Here in this, this command, it's, it's quoted, but it's quoted with a different word. See there in the very beginning, he says, Obey your parents. In Exodus 20, we see the word honor your parents. It's a little bit of a different word. In this word obey, it's replacing honor. And what it's doing is it's addressing the family with kids who are under their parents' authority. That's what he's aiming at. So he's aiming at younger kids with this one. That's what Ephesians 6 is aiming at. With uh, Exodus chapter 20, it's aiming at all of us because you still have parents no matter how old you get going back to the very beginning where we said, I know you have parents because you're here, right? So you don't ever not have parents. And those of you who are parents, you realize that you never cease being a parent. You know, it's like this thing that maybe when they grow up, things will sort of uh, get a little bit smoother and a little bit easier and I won't worry as much. And then you get older kids and then they have kids and you worry way more, you know? And now you got grandkids to worry about. And, and so it just never turns off. As soon as you're a parent, you're always a parent. It just never, never goes away. And so he's addressing here in Ephesians 6 the kids who are under their parents' authority. And this commentary is given uh, that this uh, commandment is the first one as well as the only one with a promise attached to it. Do you see that there in verse 2? It's the first commandment with a promise. It's this conditional promise attached to it. And the way that you receive the promise is through submissive obedience to God's command to honor your parents. That's the way this, this is received. Do you wanna have a longer, better life? Then this is vitally attached to it, honoring your father and your mother. Now this is gonna look different as kids age because the way you interact with your five-year-old, it's not the way you interact with your 15-year-old and it's not the way you interact with your 25-year-old. It, it, it changes as your kids grow, correct? Things develop and change differently. For younger kids, when you have kids who are, are, are young, I would say under five years old, your relationship with your children is primarily, exclusively your authority, right? You say things like, do this because I said so, right? Have you ever tried to, have you ever tried to uh, reason with a two-year-old? 
It's, it's like reasoning with a crazy person. Uh, you say something to them and then they start talking about some other random thing that's completely disconnected and they're trying to tell you that as a reason why they can do whatever they want. There's, you don't reason with a terrorist, okay? And so you just tell them, I'm bigger, therefore you do it. And so that, that's what you're aiming at. Now, as your kids get older, you get older kids, then you're going you're gonna, to, your relationship with them is going to be mostly authority, but it, you should be transitioning to influence. Not just authority, but also influence. And then when you get teenagers, your relationship with your teenagers needs to be almost completely influence. It's mostly influence with a little bit of authority, right? You can't just let them do whatever they want. Uh, you have to do things like, I'll take the door off of your bedroom so that you understand that this is my house, not yours. Or you remember that phone that you have? It's not yours. I pay for it. It's actually mine. You don't have privacy. There is no such thing as that. You belong to me. I'm responsible for you. And therefore, you don't get to do whatever you want, right? Those are important things. But mostly, you're coaching them on how to make decisions, and letting them bear the consequence of their decisions because soon they're going to be adult kids and your relationship is completely influenced. You can't, my mom can't call me up and say, Cody, I need you to do this thing because I'm your mom, obey your mom. I've got a verse, right? She can't do that because our relationship is different. I'm not commanded by the Lord to obey my mom the way that I was when I was six, right? That our relationship is very different now that I'm older. And if you, if parents, if you don't do this, if you have a rebellious two-year-old, it might look cute right now. It might look, oh, that's so funny. Ha ha ha. If you don't correct that, if you don't apply, you know, the, 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 the board of understanding to the seat of learning and correct those things, then you're going to get a rude, obnoxious eight-year-old. Many of those, many, many of those eight-year-olds that you're like, I would do anything to get away from this child. Um, that's because of what they did when, or didn't do when they had a two-year-old. And if you don't correct that, you know what you get? A completely uncontrollable 16-year-old. They do whatever they want. They leave whenever they want. They say crazy things. They slam doors. Uh, they, they freak out and break your stuff and whatever. And then if you're not able to, to get a hold of it then, which by that time it's really hard, you get a completely abandoned relationship as a young adult. They leave and will not come back. And, and as parents, is that what you're aiming at? That's not what I'm aiming at. My end game is I want God-honoring, God-loving adult kids that I can, have, I can be friends with. But if you treat them like your friend when they're five, you're going to get an enemy when they're 25. But if you treat them like you're their parent when they're five, you might get a great friend when they're 25. That's, and that's what we're aiming at as parents. We want to raise our kids in the things of the Lord. You see, as the parents, you set the tone. You set the temperature. I want to ask you a question about that. Are you making it easier or harder for your kids to honor you? by the way you speak, by the things you do, by the decisions you make, by the way you interact with your spouse? Are you making it easier or harder for your kids to honor you? Are you training your children in honor because you represent the Lord to them? And if you're not training them to honor you, you're training them to dishonor the Lord. Does that make sense? So we need to take this as a serious thing. All right, thirdly and finally, an honor be given a promise to be accepted and a gift to be possessed. Go back to Ephesians, not Ephesians, we are in Ephesians. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. The last phrase in verse 12 is, which the Lord your God is giving you, speaking of this land. Now the Israeli people have been delivered from Egyptian slavery and yet, yet they, they have not come into their own home. They don't have their own 
land yet. They're living in the middle of the already, not yet. In, in uh, Exodus chapter 3, they've been promised this land. That's why it's called the promised land. I have a land for you, God says, and I'm going to lead you into it. I want to give this to you. And it's the land that Abraham had been living in pre- previously, 400 years earlier uh, with, with, with his family. And so here, now they're, they're looking forward to this promised land, but they're not there. They're living in the middle of the already not yet. And isn't that where a lot of our lives are lived? There's this thing out in the future. There's this promise out in the future. There's this goal out in the future. And there's this thing that I know the Lord is leading me to. And yet, I'm not experiencing it. Not in the fullness the way that I should. I'm not experiencing it in the way that I know that God has designed me to do. And so, so we're kind of living in this tension of the already, not yet. This is where our lives are lived just like them. And we have a tendency to think that because it's not realized yet that God must have abandoned us or maybe he forgot about us and he's just really, he doesn't care about it anymore. Maybe I misheard the Lord. And just because it's taking time doesn't mean he's not coming through. That, that's, that's something that we can honor God in is just trusting that he's still working. He's still leading us toward what he's doing. And so I want to I ask you to ask yourself two questions in the middle of this already not yet. Number one, this is I think the most important question, is did God actually promise it? Did God actually promise it? I think there are a lot of things that we're expecting God to come through on and we're saying, God, you promised this to me and he never promised it to you. You wanted it and you are trying to force him to do your thing. And God is saying, I, I, I'm not here to put you on the throne as God. Jesus, uh, Jesus enters human history, goes to a cross, bleeds and dies to redeem you, to purchase you back and enthrone himself upon your heart, not for you to be God and for him to serve you like your butler. Jesus doesn't exist to get you your stuff. And so we've got to be careful not to say, I want it, I prayed for it, I even stamped the magic phrase in Jesus' name on it, therefore go get me my things. That's a completely wrong way to view the Lord. So did God promise you this thing? Is this actually a promise from the Lord? And the second question is, are you the only one in human history who God is going to abandon? Of course not. Of course not. God's not going to abandon you. God's not going to not come through for you. God's not going to leave you high and dry as the only one who he's never going to, uh, to come through for. Of course not. And so trust the Lord in the middle of the already not yet. Even when it's hard, even when the, the tension mounts and you're, you're tempted to doubt, trust the Lord. He's good. He's God. He may not come through the way you thought he was going to, but he's coming through and you can trust him. Now, God brought them out, and if he didn't lead them and protect them, God brought them out of, of Egypt, right? He took them out of Egyptian slavery. He led them miraculously through the Red Sea and into the desert and, and uh, took care of them by water coming out of a rock and manna, bread falling from heaven and being on the ground every morning. And he took care of them in every way. He protected them with a, a, a pillar of, of cloud during the day to give them shade and covering and a fire by night to give them warmth and light. And so God took care of all of their needs in so many different ways. And if he didn't lead them, he didn't protect them, and he didn't provide them for them, then they had absolutely no hope of survival. That, that when God says, I'm leading you into this land, he's the key to the land. He's the key to everything for them to get what they need. Now, now in this, God's plan for them was much more than survival though. 
He, didn't, he wasn't just saying, hey, I'm going to take you in the desert and let you survive for a while. No, his plan was that they would flourish. He was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, Exodus 3.17. That, that in this, they were going to have homes and cities that they didn't build. They were just going to move in. They were going to have vineyards and crops and groves that they didn't plant. They were going to gain wealth that they did not work for. And the absolute same thing for them is true for you and me. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go have a hostile takeover of the, uh, of the city next door. What I'm saying is that we have no hope of survival on our own. I cannot produce the life that I need on my own. I need God to intervene for me. I need God to lead me. I need God to protect me. I need God to provide for me. And Jesus graciously gives so much more than just my survival. Just existing until you die is not the point that God has for you in life. There is so much more, and it only comes through honoring him by honoring our parents. This is the key to all of this stuff, that as we honor the Lord, we're, we are able to gain access to these things. You see, Jesus gives us more than just survival. He adopts us into his family through his death. We become adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's what, uh, uh, 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we be called the sons of God. That when Jesus bled and died, he didn't do so just to bring you in as a slave, but he made you a son. He gave you that, that identity as being his and being adopted into the family. That, that not only that, but you have brothers and sisters. You're part of a family. You have community of believers that you can be a part of. You have the power through Jesus to overcome sin and obviously the hope of eternal life. That heaven is where our destination is. This world is not all there is. You see, we, these are things that we didn't buy and we can't build, but they've been graciously given. John 10, 9 through 11 says this. I'm the door, Jesus speaking. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here in this section, we have two of the I am statements of Jesus. And what he's saying is that because of his death, because of his sacrifice of himself, that he becomes this door, this way, this means by which you have access to God, access to the Father. And, and, and in that, he, he wants to lead you into a spirit-filled abundant life. And that the only way you have access to it is through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his life given for you. And that faith in Jesus produces, it produces obedience to Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that? In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. That, that faith in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus. It's not, hey, Jesus, I believe you. I'm just going to live my life however I feel like. I would say that that proves you really don't believe in Jesus. That, that you haven't come to terms with the reality of who he is. He's God who's come to change your life. Yes, he'll accept you just as you are. He'll receive you with all your flaws, all your, your, your warts and wrinkles and issues and problems and dirtiness of life. He'll take you just as you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. 
He's not just going to say, yeah, you can just have excuses to stay the way that you are. No, he's going to change you. He's going to transform you. He's going to grow you. He's going to mature you. He's going to place his heart inside you. You see, the faith that's in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus, and that's how you get into the blessings of Jesus. There's no other way. You don't get into the blessing, just like we're talking about here in in verse 12, the blessing of the land of promise comes through the obedience that they're willing to give to the Lord because of a heart that has changed. You see, your relationship with your parents that are ahead of you or your kids that are behind you will not make sense or work properly unless your relationship with God is established first. Your relationship with God has to be established first. Then everything else finds its right place. Then everything else is established correctly. And while we can look to Jesus and his relationship with both his earthly parents and his heavenly father as our great example, Jesus is so much more than just an example. Because an example, especially an example like Jesus, that doesn't give me any hope. That just reminds me of how terrible I am. And I, I fail and I'm just, I'm not like you, Jesus. I, am, I can't do it the way you did it. I can't be the way that you are. But Jesus is so much more than our example. He's our redeemer. He's our savior. He's our king. He's our Lord. And when he moves in, he's gonna rearrange some furniture. He's gonna change some stuff up. He's gonna set some different priorities. And Without a transformed heart, I'm inevitably crushed by the weight of perfection that I can never attain to. But faith in Jesus produces this new redeemed heart with new ability to perform the things that we know are right. So I just want to encourage you. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. Maybe this is the first time you've understood faith in Jesus from the perspective of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his blood, his love for you. Not because of the mean Romans, not because the Jews betrayed him, but because Jesus went to the cross saying, I want to purchase you as my own child. I want to encourage you to cry out to Jesus, recognizing that you've sinned against him, you've violated him, and that his salvation is for you. Maybe you have, maybe you've given your life to the Lord before. And today's a moment to say, I gotta gotta reorient some stuff. I gotta let Jesus change some things. I got to let him not just be savior, but also Lord. And he's got to set some different priorities. So let's pursue him together and take some time to honor him as our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for the way that you have given us your word. And you so clearly laid out how, how you think things work, the way you've designed them to go. And we pray that you would help us to be submissive to you, to give ourselves to you in the way that you have made things and to to be willing to to do it your way and not try to get you to do it our way. So Father, today as we uh, close down our our time together, we just pray that your spirit would move among us and that you'd bring us to repentance and you'd bring us to the place of having our hope fully resting upon you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.